grace. Well, here we are, the very first Sunday of a brand new year. 2021 is upon us, and every time we come to this time of of year, I don't know if this is internal pressure that I put on myself or if you think this way and feel this way, but I always feel there's something that has to be said to kind of acknowledge the beginning of a new year, and it's the time that... um, the resolutionists will be invading my gym tomorrow morning. I'm sure there'll be plenty of those there, and uh, we'll see how long they last, uh, but that's the time of year that we're in. It's the time of year we're setting goals and trying to think about the coming months, and I want to do a little bit of that this morning. But as we begin today, I want to remind each and every one of us that um, as we begin this morning that we are still... Um, wrestling through the whole uh, pandemic, uh, COVID-19. I want to remind you that the 19 in that name is the year that it was first identified, so it's been a little bit of time. As of I stand before you this morning, I, I personally know more people that are wrestling with this virus than at any other time. Um, I have a couple of friends that are in intensive care units this morning struggling with their lives. And so when we think about the beginning of this year, we would have to admit and acknowledge that the COVID virus did not get the memo that it was supposed to evaporate at midnight on December 31st. That didn't happen. Now, who, not that we truly expected that, who would have thought that 12 months ago when we were in a similar service, would we have been able to predict what this country and our nation would have gone through over the last 12 months. Every year we turn to a new calendar. The holiday season is behind us, and tomorrow morning the vast majority of Americans return to work, return to routine, and return to the predictability of work, to which I say a hearty amen. It's about time. I'm in the minority of that, but I've said this before, I think vacation should be banned forever. Um, People come back from vacations more tired than when they left, they seem pointless to me. So let's just keep going, right? Let's just keep doing what we're supposed to do. I'm getting glares right now. I say it mostly to just make sure you're awake and listening. This morning, I want to look at the opening portion of the book of Ecclesiastes, We're not starting a new study in this book. We're not going to be looking through this book exegetically. But if you're not familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, it's pretty much smack dab in the middle of your copy of Scripture. It's in the poetic section of the Old Testament. Now, normally, my philosophy of preaching is pretty predictable in that I predominantly preach what is called inductive messages, which means I'm going to give you some general, general statements in the beginning, some ideas, and then bring it hopefully to the end and to a conclusion that is the point of the message, the main point. Today, I think it would be dangerous if I did that, and so we're going to do this morning what is called a deductive message. I'm going to tell you the point up front. Here it is. Life lived without God at the center of your life is pointless. If you are beginning 2021 without God 
as the center of your existence, you're in trouble this year. In fact, the book of Ecclesiastes begins and opens with some pretty startling words. In fact, if we were to kind of just read through these verses without an explanation or particularly without a bigger picture of where Solomon is going in this book, we would walk out this morning pretty discouraged, maybe even depressed. But we can't forget and we can't divorce these opening verses away from Solomon's overriding argument in this book. His point is very simply this, that a life lived in sweet surrender to God is a life worth living. Understanding that while common, uh, in our our common era, that many people deny that Solomon was the writer of this book, I hold wholeheartedly to Solomon being the writer of this book. Solomon, if you're not familiar with him, let me just briefly mention who he is. Solomon is the son of David, who actually, in a couple of weeks, maybe next week, we're going to be starting a series on the life of David. We're going to be studying him and looking at his life over the next few weeks. But Solomon was David's son. Solomon is known for a handful of things, maybe more than that. But first of all, he was known for a man being someone of great wisdom. In fact, Proverbs is written, a lot of it, most of it, the majority of it, is written by Solomon. Ecclesiastes could also be put into the wisdom category of writing. So Solomon was a wise man. But as one writer said, he was the wisest fool to ever live. Because Solomon, while given wisdom, also lived life very often apart from a relationship with God. In fact, the book of Ecclesiastes, as I understand it, is written toward the end of Solomon's life. I overheard a a preacher one time, this is probably about 25 years ago, I overheard him say to another church member at the time, he said, well, we don't preach from the book of Ecclesiastes because Solomon wrote it as a fallen man, and so we we don't ever publicly, you know, deal with the book of Ecclesiastes. I don't know if that's what started my interest in this book or not, but the verse of Scripture that came to my mind when I overheard that comment was, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable. And it's profitable for instruction. Because here's the reality as I see life. You can learn one of two ways. You can learn through the experience and wisdom of others, or you can learn the hard way. Solomon learned the hard way. Let me ask you this. If I were to give you a blank check, and I said to you, you take out as much money as you believe will bring you happiness and meaning and satisfaction, how much money do you think it would take? I don't know what number comes to your mind, but I would tell you that Solomon was likely, historians tell us, the richest man to ever live. He was wealthy. He was powerful. Not only was he the son of David, he was the final king of a unified Israel. After Solomon's lead and Solomon's kingship, the nation would be divided into two. Solomon was powerful. He was a world leader that his name, his fame spread throughout the entire known world at the time. 
And so Solomon had money, he had power, he had position, he had everything possible to live life on his terms. And you know what? He did. In fact, he says later on in this book, he says, whatever my eyes saw, I got it. Money was no object. Power was no object. Influence was not a problem. He had it all. And Solomon went through this life believing that he could buy happiness and meaning and he could come to the place that his hungry heart found satisfaction in the things of this world and Solomon comes up completely empty. And so he is writing this book later in his life trying to arrest your attention this morning. If you believe that satisfaction in this life and meaning in this life is found in the things of this world, you're in for a very difficult ride. A life lived apart from God is pointless. Solomon is going to talk to us this morning about how we can live a life that is one that, as Pastor West mentioned, a life that brings glory to God. Now, before we get to the text this morning, I want you also to remember that the things of this world, creation in particular, which we'll be talking about a little bit this morning, that creation in this world, and even the frustrations of this world, even the pain, hurt, and heartache of this world are here to drive us to God. I want you to remember this morning as you begin this new year, this world was never meant to be your savior, nor was any person living in this world. Jesus Christ is the only savior, the only way of redemption. God alone is the source of lasting meaningless and satisfaction in this life. And so let's take a look this morning at some observations that Solomon makes about this world, particularly when we live life divorced from God. One writer said this, this, this writer was a humanist. In other words, he believed that mankind was the center of existence. He said, the universe and human existence are without a purpose and therefore devoid of meaning. When I read that quote and quotes like that, I ask myself this question, are we just simply dust flying through an indifferent universe? That there is no purpose, there is no meaning to life? Is that really what this life is all about? And yet Solomon says, and by the way, I want to say this, I'll probably say it multiple times before I read the verses that might on, at face value discourage you instantly, and that's not my point. But the point is that as Solomon goes through this book and he comes to the end of the book, he says, let us hear the conclusion of the matter. The whole duty of man is fear God and keep his commandments. That's what we're here for. We're here to bring glory to God and to him alone. Ecclesiastes is very honest about the difficulties of life. It's very honest about the contradictions of life. It's very honest about the frustrations of life. And so let's take a look at Solomon's instruction and notice two observations of how life feels when I lived divorced from God. Number one, Solomon tells us that life feels 
meaningless when we are not connected to God. Notice what he says in verse 1 of chapter 1. He says, the words Now, I want to highlight a couple of words here for you to get kind of a feel for Solomon's argument. First is the word vanity. It comes from the Greek word, excuse me, Hebrew word, hebel. The word basically means pointless. It means vain. It is a word that describes, in my mind, chasing after the wind, I always think of the word hebel this way, and this, this visual picture works for me. It's like taking a balloon, if you could picture a balloon in my hand right here, and taking the skin away. All that you're left with is a puff of air. Solomon says, life is nothing but fleeting vanity. It's a vapor. It's a breath. It's but a moment in time. This word vanity is used over 30 times in this book. Hebel is like a puff of smoke from a fire that escapes the chimney and it's gone in just a brief moment. Or the breath of air that you see on a cold winter morning that lasts only for a second. In other words, life is transitory. It is something that goes very, very quickly. James puts it this way. By the way, the book of James has been called the Ecclesiastes of the New Testament in some ways. James 4.14 says, Let you, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Solomon throughout his life had tried to find meaning and pleasure. He had concubines at his fingertips at any moment that he could enjoy. He had food. He had gardens. He had everything in that time and in that day that would bring him pleasure. He tried philosophy. He tried materialism. He tried education. He tried religion. And yet each and every time Solomon walked away with the same conclusion, Meaningless, 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 vanity. All of it is absolute vanity. Again, how do you want to learn in this life? Are you smarter than Solomon? Are you wiser than Solomon and believe that for you somehow you're going to find meaning in this life and you're going to find purpose in this life pursuing pleasure or pursuing philosophy or materialism or education or religion? And maybe if you're honest with yourself this morning, you've tried that way of life and you're coming to the same conclusion. Vanity of vanities. It's all vanity. It's chasing after the wind. Now, Solomon is not arguing, nor am I, that we don't enjoy the things of this world that God gives us. The question is, do we look at the things of this world to find our meaning, to find satisfaction, to find our purpose in this life. Worldly living is very tempting, isn't it? We can see it. We can touch it. We can smell it. We can taste it. 
And yet what we find is when we try to live in this world, trying to find meaning and satisfaction in the things of this world, we come up empty every time. In fact, a few years ago, Forbes magazine dedicated its 75th anniversary to a single topic. Why do we feel so bad when we have it so good? In this issue, the the magazine considered why our country is so depressed when we're one of the wealthiest in in the world. Articles highlighted topics such as our country has lost its values, its moral absolutes, and our lives feel like they have lost meaning. Here's the other reality. We're one of the most bored societies in the history of mankind, and yet we have the most to do. We have activities, we have things that can hold our attention for a split second, and then we're off to the next thing, trying to find satisfaction, trying to find meaning, trying to find purpose, and we're spinning around in circles. Sometimes if we're honest, we feel like we're living on a treadmill and we're going nowhere. You see, if I live life without God at the center, life just feels kind of pointless, feels sort of meaningless. Notice this other phrase here that Solomon uses here. It's found in verse 3. He says, what are we doing? I love to do manual labor. I think most because I don't, I don't get to do it very often. And, and there are times when you're helping. I'm devoid of any ability to do this, by the way, without the very clear direction of others. But you're cleaning. Or I cleaned out my garage on Christmas Eve. That was my big Christmas Eve activity. I cleaned my garage because I can't sit and do nothing. So I spent the day cleaning the garage and taking stuff to the dump, doing all this stuff. And at the end of it, I looked around at all of my wonder and said, wow, that was great. And threatened every child that lives in my house. It will look like this after every single day. That lasted about two days. And there's boxes in there already. There's a mattress. Anybody need a mattress? Free one? It's only 35 years old. You can have it. There's already things collecting in there. And I could walk away saying, vanity of vanities. It's all vanity. All of that work for what? And notice Solomon says here, he says, all this labor that we are living under the sun. Now, this phrase appears some 29 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And here's why this phrase is so important. Because if we're honest, our theology of daily living is far more humanistic than we want to admit. Because when Solomon says that we are toiling under the sun, he is using this phrase to describe a philosophy in life that all we see is the created world around us. And we are just trying to find meaning and purpose and satisfaction and anything that we can grab onto under the sun on a vertical or excuse me, horizontal level with what we see rather than keeping our eyes vertically on God. And when we live life believing that under the sun is all there is and ultimate meaning in life is found under the sun, every day when your head hits your pillow, you will say, vanity of vanities, it's all vanity. What are we doing? Well, Solomon realized that life lived without God at the centerpiece seems meaningless. And so the opening verses of this text, you may feel discouraged, and that's honestly not the point. 
Solomon, in a sense, is pouring cold water over your head, trying to get your attention. What are you trying to live for? What are you trying to find meaning in? If it's under the sun, you're going to come up empty every single time. Because this world is not your savior. This world will never bring you ultimate satisfaction. Now, Solomon gives us a second observation about life lived apart from God, and that is life feels monotonous. You ever hear the great, wonderful hit song, Row, Row, Row Your Boat, Gently Down the Stream? Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. You ever feel like that's your life? Rowing the old proverbial rowboat down the stream? Notice back in verse 3 when he says, What does it profit a man on all? Actually, a financial term. It was used in the business sense. It was talking about making money and getting gain. Now, remember, Solomon is looking at it under the sun, he's looking at it from a humanistic perspective. And then notice what he says in verse 4. He says, a generation said that most people have their name in the newspaper twice in their life. The day they're born and the day they die. I remember, I'll give you the short version of this story. I remember when I was playing high school football Right before one of the games, one of the other players got hurt, and I was a freshman. I was a freshman at the time. I never saw the field for varsity games. I just stood on the sidelines and looked like I knew what I was doing. And they took my jersey from me, like right before the game, because one of the other players needed my number to play the position he was playing in that game. So they took my number from me and gave me some other number. Well, the next day in the newspaper, the guy who wore my jersey, they didn't change the name in the program. And so throughout the entire game, they were saying, Jay Knowles makes another tackle. And I'm standing on the sidelines. I didn't even touch the field. I'm just standing there looking cute in my uniform. Then the next day, there's a picture of this guy making this wonderful tackle. My name is right there in the paper. Jay Knowles makes yet another tackle. He was a junior, a lot bigger than me, a lot stronger than me. Thankfully, he did not destroy me. It wasn't my fault. It was the newspaper. It was whoever printed the program. My name was in the paper that day, and it wasn't even me. Generation after generation passes, and not to discourage you more, but you're forgotten. Name your great-great-grandfather off the top of your head. Go. Name your great-grandfather or grandmother off the top of your head. You see, Solomon makes this observation about the world that when we just see it from a human level, generation after generation passes away. And the irony in this, by the way, is the world continues to go on. Mankind created in the image of God, we understand that we all will face a moment in time in which we will take our last breath. In fact, Jerome a church writer from long, long ago said this. He said, what is more vain than this vanity that the earth, which was made for humans stays, but humans themselves, the Lord of the earth, suddenly dissolve into dust. 
Now, the purpose of this statement is to give you perspective. Living for the things of this world will never satisfy. They will never bring meaning. They will never bring purpose. Only God can do that. In fact, a more current writer said this way. He said, no matter how successful people are, death is the unavoidable equalizer that indiscriminately snuffs out the lives of rich and poor, young and old, wise and foolish and strong and weak. But listen to this. God is being gracious when he allows us to experience frustration over the ultimately profitless nature of our labor under the sun because he intends our lack of fulfillment in life's activities to drive us to him. You see what he's saying? That when I go through the monotony of this life and I try desperately to find meaning in the transitory things of this world, what those are meant to do is to point me to God himself. Notice Solomon continues in verses 5 through verse 7. creation. And he talks about the monotony of creation, the predictability of creation. How many of you walk out in the morning and you want to enjoy a sunset and you walk out into your backyard and you say, oh, I wonder where the sun's going to come up today. Is it going to come up out of the north? Is it going to come up from the south? Is it going to come up from the west? No, the sun is predictable. Every day is the same. The sun rises, the sun sets, east to west. Tomorrow, the sun rises from the east to the west. The next day, the sun will rise from the east to the west. It's this monotonous existence of creation. He talks about the winds. While they may seem sporadic to us, they're blowing on their jet streams around the world, and we can predict where they're going to go and what they're going to do. And by the way, this this Monotony in creation is to draw our attention to the creator. That it is God who holds the universe in his hands. It is God that enabled us just, what, a week or so ago to know when Jupiter and Saturn, I believe it was, were going to be close enough together to get some amazing pictures of that. How did we know that? Well, because the world is predictable. It's monotonous. The problem is, that in our humanity, the monotony of life when lived apart from God drives us to pursue something new, different, exciting. Remember that new job that you were so excited about? And you went in the first day and you said, Man, this is the best job I've ever had. And then six weeks later, you're like, I gotta do this again? And six months later, can I just do something different? And then a year from that, you're like, man, this job. Three years from now, this is awful. I hate this place. Five years from now, man, I just got to get something new, a new job, something better. 20 years, now I'm just surviving until I can retire. That's a great way to live life. Every job is monotonous. 
Why? Because life just is. I remember as a kid, we lived in the middle of cornfields in Delaware. And I remember saying to my parents, I was little, you know, like five, six, seven, eight years old or 25, 30 years old, I don't know. And I would say, can't we take a different way home today to see different cornfields? There's only one way to get there. Man, life can be so monotonous. I always say, you know, the monotony of life is there to teach us discipline, to teach us perseverance, to teach us the the wonders of going through life, not being drugged down by the monotony, but instead of looking at the monotony of life and saying, isn't God great? Isn't God marvelous that the sun continues its trek across our sky every single day so that we can live? I understand the world's earth is spinning. I get that. But from our perspective, it looks like, the. isn't it wonderful that the winds come and the rains come and the, the seas flow and they do all the things that God has created them to do so that we can live? Isn't that great? And yet, when we live life apart from God, we just say life is boring. It's the same thing every day. I've often wondered, when does an astronaut become bored with their job? When does it become so monotonous that they just can't stand it anymore? When does a professional athlete walk into the locker room and say, man, I don't want to do this anymore? It's the same thing every day. Yeah, because it's life. We'll get to this in a minute. I don't want to get ahead of myself because our usual response to that is I'm going to get something different. My wife has become a little too monotonous. I'm going to get somebody else. Because that always solves things. That always makes things better. You see, when we view the monotony of the world, very often we compound the problem by making very poor decisions. And so Solomon here is just pointing out the fact that there is this monotony to the world. And notice in verse 7, I think we left off, he said, all streams... an Instagram account, but I follow my sons. And I remember getting on his Instagram account and flipping through it and saying to myself, this is a bottomless pit of foolishness. How many posts do I need to see? How many Facebook posts do I need to look at to be satisfied? When is your eye ever going to come to the place and say, I've seen enough? The pornography industry certainly has proven to us that that's not real. One more look, one more picture, one more view. If I could just see this, if I could, your eyes are never satisfied, never. When I'm looking at the things of this world, it will never happen. Now, for those of us that are particularly addicted to music, we ought to take the next line to heart as well. Your ears are never satisfied. One more song. 
One more download. Is 7 million songs enough or 8 million songs? Ooh, let's get off the music one for a moment. And how many more pieces of gossip is going to bring satisfaction to your ears? You see, Solomon's hitting us where we live and saying that all of us, because of our humanity, our senses will never be satisfied. There will be something else to see, something else to hear. We may have computers and electric cars and faster internet and smarter phones and larger planes, but nothing has really changed. As Solomon says, there is, and we'll get to this in a moment, there is nothing new under the sun. It is this human experience. Notice verse 9. Solomon says, what? Older is when you live a little while and you start seeing younger people come up behind you and like, man, this is great. This is new. And you're like, nah, we did that 30 years ago. It's not new. I mean, look at this new style of clothes. Yeah, there's a bunch of people from the 1970s that have those hanging in their closet. It's not new. There's nothing new under the sun. Men are still wicked. Men are still sinning against God because we're sinners. The world still can't satisfy you even though you keep trying. Money won't satisfy you no matter how many more dollars you make. You won't find meaning in this world. You won't find purpose in this world. You can keep looking. You can keep spinning on the treadmill of life, and you're going to come to the same conclusion. Meaningless, 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 meaningless. It's all vanity. There's nothing new. By the way, are you smarter than Solomon? You think, you know, we often in our pride think, oh, this, this will work out well for me. I'll solve this riddle. Verse 10, Solomon says, is there, is there a thing of... As one writer said, there is no new truth. There's only new people responding to old truth. Go to Psalm 104 for a moment. So I was thinking about Ecclesiastes, and we'll, get, we'll bring this home in a moment, and, and what's the point in all this? I told you the point. Hopefully you remember the point. Life lived apart from God is meaningless. It's pointless. But I was reading through Ecclesiastes. My, my mind went to Psalm 104. So I've been reading over this psalm the last couple of days. And, and look at verse 19. The psalmist says this.
All these, Psalm says, look to you to give them their food. When we think about the vanity of life, the seemingly pointlessness of life, here's our response. I will sing. Notice the psalmist takes creation and brings us to our human response. As one writer said, here is God, worship him. God created the world, in a sense, to bring our frustrations and our, and our times of despair and the seemingly meaningless days that we live to draw us to Him. That's where purpose is found. That's where meaning is found. That's where satisfaction is found. Following the Dallas Cowboys' 1972 Super Bowl victory, Broadcaster by the name of Tom Brookshire asked Dwayne Thomas, who was one of the big stars that day in Dallas's win. Brookshire asked him, he said, what does it feel like to win the ultimate game? Thomas wisely answered and said, if it's the ultimate game, why is it being played again next year? Sometimes life feels like we're just watching reruns of C-SPAN, doesn't it? I was a weird kid for so many reasons, and when I was in junior high, as we called it then, I subscribed to Time magazine. And when I got married, my dad said what every dad says to his children, hey, um, Jay, all those old boxes in the attic, buddy, they got to go. No more free rent here, buddy. So I went up, I was, I was an adult, young adult in my late 20s or whatever it was. And I remember opening those boxes of all those old Time magazines. And I started reading the covers and reading the headlines inside the magazine. And I remember saying out loud, nothing changes, nothing ever, ever will. Same people, same countries, same problems, round and around and around and around we go, change this name, that name. It's the same old story. When everybody hits, oh my, what's going to happen? Same thing that's been happening for generations. We're going to go around and around and around. People are going to sin. People are going to do dumb stuff. But God will never change. And he is drawing you and he's drawing me through the monotony of life to come to him. And to not live a meaningless life, to not live a pointless life, to not live a monotonous life, but to live a life of fulfillment and joy and satisfaction that is only found in Him. You see, much of life is predictable. Some of it isn't. Creation 
seems monotonous. And maybe if you're living today, you're living today apart from God and you're here this morning, you feel hopeless, you feel desperate. Learn from Solomon. As he goes through the book of Ecclesiastes, he tries and he tries and he tries to find meaning in this world. Vanity. The conclusion of the matter is fear God. Keep his commandments. Enjoy sweet fellowship with your creator. And then, by the way, enjoy, in a right sense, the creation that God has given to you. Psalm 104, the creation that lives in the sea, they're created to play in it. Remember, actually, if you're familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, when Solomon says, enjoy your youth. Live it up. Have a great time. Just remember that God's going to hold you accountable for your decisions. But enjoy your youth. Enjoy your life. God isn't a killjoy. He's not arguing live a life that doesn't enjoy creation. He is arguing don't find your salvation in it. Don't find your purpose in it. Don't find your meaning in it. That is only found in him. I was out walking the other day and this Jeep went past me. And I had the spare tire on the back. And like so many of them, they have the cover over the spare tire. And this one had a little saying on it. It said, one life, live it. And I was walking around, and I don't know, that bugged me. I was like irritated about it. I got the guy's license plate, went over to his house and said, that thing bugged me. I didn't do that. Ed's like, what did you do? No, I didn't do it. Just joking. But it did. I'm not joking about the fact it bugged me. It's like, you know what? I'm going to change that. One life invested for his glory. I like that better. That's Solomon's point. You've only got one life. Live it, enjoy it, that's fine. But more importantly, invest it. While life can feel meaningless and monotonous, it has meaning. It has wonder. Creation points us to the Creator, the one who is our true source of satisfaction and meaning. So as you begin this new year, what are you hoping to accomplish this year? Where are you going to try to find hope and meaning and satisfaction? I leave you with Solomon's words. Let us hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Let's pray. Father, this morning I thank you for the opportunity to share these verses that I've been thinking much about over the last several weeks. And it's tempting for us to look at the monotony of life and become discouraged or frustrated or bored. And yet, the monotony is supposed to do just the opposite. It's supposed to draw us to the Creator, to You. 
Solomon, under, the, under your inspiration, gave us this book, not so that we would become discouraged, but so that we would be reminded again and again and again of our temptation to live life on humanistic terms. That really, we try to get creation and the people in it to do things for us that they can't do. They can't bring satisfaction and meaning to us. They never were intended to. It is only found in you. And so, Lord, I pray that these opening 11 verses of this book would do wonders in our hearts and drive us to our knees to bring our frustration, to bring our discouragement, to bring our uncertainty before your throne and understand that meaning and purpose and life and joy is found in you. And God, may we learn this lesson in a way that is much easier than how Solomon learned it. Lord, may we live this this year and live in such a way that takes our life and truly does invest it for your glory, never for our own. And God, we pray for the strength to do it. Pray, Lord, you'd protect us as we go through this year. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Have a wonderful day.